why. So this is the way they stitch together the books. Our chapters don't help. It's the way that the ancient scroll readers would have read that we're moving from one account into the next story, from one part of the grand story of God into the next story. Genesis 6, 9. This is the account of Noah. Genesis 10, verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This pattern continues and leads us to the last book in the book of Genesis. And it runs from chapter 37 to chapter 50. It's 13 whole chapters in the Bible. And it's been generally read, though, this section as the story of Joseph. And what a fantastic story that is. It's about dreams and disaster and betrayal and slavery and prison and ultimately promotion to the palace. What a great story. But what we have found out in our little bit of Bible study last week, it's actually not a story about Joseph. It's actually a story about Jacob. This is Jacob's story. And so we've worked out that it's a story about Jacob and his family. Because you see, God has a plan. My friends, God has a plan. When you look at the disaster and the tragedy around our world, as you see the things that are happening in our politics, in our schools and whatever, I want you to know God has a plan. And it's a good plan. And it's a plan where he wins. It's an awesome plan. So we read the book of Genesis. Genesis literally is the Greek word for beginnings. So it's a book about beginnings. It's the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of the cosmos. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the earth was formless without void. Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. Out of nothing, God created everything. Out of nothing, God created something. Out of the chaos, God created. Then defection entered into the perfection. Sin, selfishness, suffering all came about as a result of the devils deceiving the first humans who were conned into rejecting God's reign and launching out on their own. You know what, guys? I've been around just a little while, all 21 years now, and, you know, there have been some times I want to be really open with you and say that I've doubted the existence of God. There have been moments when I've had doubts. But you know what? I've never doubted in the existence of the devil. Every time I open up a newspaper, I believe in the devil. Every time I see a young child whose life's cut short by drugs or tragedy, every time I see a young person raped in our nation, one in three ladies that will be raped in our nation, when I see that every 17 minutes a young person will attempt to take their life in this society, I think you don't have to look too far to believe there's a devil. I think the devil is on display everywhere. There is a malignant evil. I'm not talking about the little red thing that people you know, think that's got a forked tail and all that sort of stuff. I believe that there is a malignant evil force. If you don't believe that, just go down by the train line and have a look at the, uh, you know, the reefs and the flowers that are left there. As young lives are lost. People's lives are stolen, cut short. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. But the devil comes to kill, maim and destroy. You know, one of our sister churches, the Kelmstock Church of Christ, recently the, the pastor has fallen in immorality. It's a great tragedy. A church in momentum and things were happening and the enemy finds a way to get in. And don't we dare judge that? That's God's job. Our God's to love and forgive and to cover and not to gossip and things like that. But I believe in the devil. And you know what? I want to give him a hard time. 
I want to make his day miserable by praising our God and understanding God has a plan. And it's a great plan. His plan is that he's like the master chess player. The chess player. No matter what move the opponent makes, the master, the grandmaster knows if you move there, even though I think that's a bad move, I can do that, and then I'll do that, then you'll do this, then you'll do that, and it's checkmate in three moves. You see, that's, that's the wisdom of our God. He created a perfect universe, and he saw that just maybe someone would move the pawn the, right the, right the wrong direction towards the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that he says, that's a bad move, that's a bad move. But even if my enemy does that, I can do this and I can do this. I can send Jesus Christ checkmate in two moves. Hallelujah. God has a plan. And his plan is to defeat the enemy no matter what moves he makes. God has a plan. And it's back there in the book of Genesis, the seed of the woman, say seed, would crush the seed of the serpent. It's a battle over seeds. And one day, the seed of the woman, prophetic language, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, would crush the head of that evil, malignant, rebellious spirit called serpent, devil, Satan. This seed would give rise to, listen to this, to a harvest of millions and millions of God-like creatures who are born again, saved, redeemed, sanctified, glorified, free-born sons and daughters of faith of the Most High God. Millions and millions of them and will populate the heaven and the universe forever and ever and ever and ever. It's a huge plan. God has a plan. It's a great plan. So this Genesis, the book of first, the first day, the first marriage, the first sin, the first murder. And we could go on saying first, first, first. But it's a plan to work out the creation of the sons and daughters of the Most High God. God is building a nation of rulers. Out of the chaos, He's creating. He is able to keep His promises and He's turning a bunch of nomads into a nation that will rule and become representative, cast a shadow down the ages of what God will ultimately do through the redemption of human beings. So last week we talked a little bit about the danger of partiality in families. You just don't go there. Love everybody in the family. Love them equally. The danger of family patterns. The danger of having a purpose on your life. And the meaning... Because if God's got a purpose for your life... The moment you go against it, it's going to cause you trouble. Flow with the promises of God. Flow with the prophetic flow of your life and you'll find life will go easier. If you pull against the reins, you're going to get a sore gum. Let God lead you. And so here we have this incredible passage, Genesis chapter 38, which Simon did. A wonderful job. So, I went to my library, got out the biggest commentary in Genesis that I had. It was a big book, usually known for actually pressing flowers, those sorts of things. And this is what it says. This peculiar chapter stands alone with no connection to its context. It's isolated in every way and is most enigmatic. 
In other words, mysterious. It's not evident that provides any significant theological resource. It's difficult to know in what context it might be available for theological truth. For this reason, our treatment of it may be brief. Hope you brought your game balls. <laughs> it's a difficult passage. So let me just read you two verses. Genesis 37, 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, was one of Pharaoh's servants. The captain of the guard brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him from there. What did I just do? I just dipped out a whole chapter of the Bible and you'd be saying, yeah, so what? What did we lose? Why did God, in his inspiration, his desire to help us, inspire for this chapter to be in the Bible? Now, guys, you've got to understand, they had no, they had no computers. To write a chapter of the Bible in those days was an incredible effort and expense. You know, you had to go buy a calf. You had to sacrifice the calf, get the vellum, get the gum. You'd have to make all that. You could not go down to the newsagents and just buy the stuff that you needed. It was an incredible exercise. So why is it there? I have no idea. (laughs) We'll try and answer that question. But there are some things that are following through here. First of all, the key is to understand that it's Jacob's story rather than Joseph. That's the key. Genesis 37, verse 1, this is the account of Jacob. So now we have a a pattern fearing where Jacob deceives his own father Isaac with a goat and his personal identification marker. You know the story. The story, Esau's the favored son. He's got hairy arms and uh, he wants to be able to get the, the, uh, the chief blessing. He's the firstborn. And so Jacob comes along and he puts on a goat skin so he feels hairy and uh, makes up some goat for his father and deceives him into giving him the first blessing. Then we go down a generation and Judah deceives Jacob now, 108 years old, with again using a goat and his personal identification marker, which is his coat of many colors, this beautiful coat that just signified him. And then you go down another generation. Now, Judah's about to be deceived by a goat in his personal identification markers, which in this case is his credit card. The seal and the cord and the star basically function as the ancient credit card. This would have been a little cylinder that you'd roll over the tablet to show this is my signature. Don't leave your credit card with a strange woman. I think he's not a very smart man for multiple reasons, but for that one as well. So here we're going on. Now, in all these cases, no one lies. They have simply presented the evidence and they're allowed to assume the negative report. So, you know, when they said that, uh, you know, Joseph, your son's been killed, uh, they just came, says, look, here, Dad, here's his coat. What do you think's happened here? And Dad just looks at the coat and sees blood's on, blood on it. And he concludes that he's met with ill fate. So no one's actually lying. Deception's actually in this place where you've got a false evidence appearing as reality. Of course, that's an acronym for fear, isn't it? False evidence appearing as reality. 
And friends, we just have to be so careful that constantly the enemy is trying to destroy destiny on our life, trying to destroy the plan of God and our life by presenting false evidence that appears real. You know, it's the doctor's report that this can't happen. It's the negative report. It's the bank's cards. It, whatever it might be in your, local, in your situation, we actually have to say, God, what do you say here? And it's better that you adopt the position that let all men be liars and God's word be true. Stay with the word of God rather than with what you might see as real. Because I want to tell you, that stuff often's lying to you. True? They said at one stage, we're all going to die of swine flu. True? One day, they, they all told us that all the planes were going to fall out of the air in the year 2000 with Y2K. They did, didn't they? You know, and you go on, the global financial crisis, all this sort of stuff. We keep on being told, global climate change and whatever. We are constantly being told, this is what's wrong with the world. This is the false evidence that we're out of control and stuff. And the world has been manipulated like lemmings. I would love to meet the first lemming and say, why on earth did you do that? <laughs> come on. We've been manipulated by the media and sometimes we've got to come back to what the Bible says, that God's in control, he's got a plan and he's going to be on time to rescue this mother earth. Now, so then we move on. Now, Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and he's required to fulfill the promise through seed. See, a promise was made to their ancient grandfather, great-great-grandfather, because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of three generations. He's the God of three generations. He is the God of your yesterday, your today, and your tomorrow. He is the God of three generations. Have you got it yet? Are you listening to me this morning? He's just not interested in you yesterday. He's just not interested in you today. He is passionately, our God's passionately interested in your tomorrow and in your future. He is the God of, he's not was the God of Abraham and is now the God of Isaac and will be the God of Jacob. He's always declared himself in Scripture to be the God of Abraham, to be the God of Isaac and to be, he is our God exists outside of time but we don't catch that sometimes and so here's this promise so judah he does something that most australian boys don't do he left home (laughs) he left home good move (laughs) hey boys here's a pickup line for you i got a job and i don't live at home for my (laughs) mum I better move on. I'm getting myself in trouble. Okay. So he moves out of home and he goes, he marries and he has this son and his name is Ur. Now, I can just imagine the creativity that went into that, you know. She's going, push, push, push. Judas here, what are you going to name him? Uh. (laughs) Uh. It stuck, didn't it? Poor kid. <clears throat> now, we don't know about her, but we're told that he dies because of wickedness, that God killed him because of wickedness, and that his wife's name was Tamar. 
or Tamar. We've anglicized a bit, but Tamar is probably a better way to say it. He has a second son called Onan who refuses leverate marriage to Tamar. Now, leverate marriage is a peculiar concept to our Western minds. But if you go to many countries today, the leverate marriage comes from the Latin lever, which is brother. Uh, is still popular, is still uh, practiced in many places, particularly in Africa today, parts of Asia. Where you don't have social security, you know, hereditary rights are incredibly important because ultimately that's your means of surviving. You know, there, you know unless you've got a family to look after you, you die out so very, very quickly. And so today, even in Africa, if a husband and wife are married and there's a brother close by, and the um, husband dies, then his brother is required to marry his wife. And the children that she has to that marriage will be considered her brother's children. So you see what's happening? The inheritance rights will still be passed on, even though it's a slightly different genetics are going on and stuff. And in Africa, it's an incredible problem because what's often happening, men being a little bit more promiscuous than the women, uh, have contracted HIVs many, HIV many times. They die of HIV. And, of course, then their, then their brother, who may not have HIV AIDS, is then required to actually marry the wife who at this stage has contracted HIV AIDS. So it's, it's an incredible tragedy in Africa. So aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, that you were born in Australia? For many reasons. So here it is. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, you'll actually find that leverate marriage is codified in the Old Testament by Moses. However, it's an option. If the brother doesn't want to marry his sister-in-law because he, for whatever reason she, he doesn't like her, he's worried about what's going to do, then he had the ability to opt out. It wasn't a necessity that he had to do. But what Onan does was, he actually marries the girl, so outwardly he's doing the right thing, but inwardly in the marriage bedroom he's doing the wrong thing. So what he's wanting to do is to take the benefits of leverate marriage without living up to the responsibility of it. And so God was very displeased with him as a result of that. <clears throat> so Onan took advantage. Can I say to you, sex without taking the responsibility that goes with it is something God's not happy about. Sex is meant to have the future totally in focus. When sex is just on the now and not on the future, we are taking it to places that God never ordained. So this leads us to this fascinating subject known as the sin of onism. And you came to church today. The sin of onism, the wasting of seed. The Greek word for seed is sperma. Now, the wasting of seed is not condemned in Scripture at all. From Genesis all the way through to Revelations, there is nothing there about the wasting of seed at all. Yet the Bible is incredible. I feel like a blind javelin throw at this stage. I'm not going to break any records, but I have everybody's attention. So it's not condemned scripture. So from cover to cover, the Bible is silent over this matter of self-stimulation or um, having sex without the 
without conception of a child directly involved. Because, but it's clear because it talks about all other matters you could possibly think of. If you want to check on me, go to Leviticus 18 and you will go red face and you want to close your Bible about the things that the Bible is very happy to discuss. But it never talks about this particular issue at all. And so what's very important for us to understand is that we need to make the right interpretation and application of Scripture. Otherwise, we end up with some terrible, terrible things. One of the things is that the church historically, particularly the Catholic Church, has used this particular verse to actually promote a whole view of human sexuality that God never, ever spoke about at all. And it's actually caused an incredible amount of damage and harm. So our job is is to actually faithfully sass the text, what's it saying and how does it apply. So well, now the deal that's going on here is that he is not living up to his... Uh, responsibility to raise up children to his uh, deceased brother earth and so there's a third brother who used i used to call his name sheila so i prefer um simon's shilat's probably better because to call a guy sheila i think would be a problem in australian society (laughs) so he says when sheila grows up when shila grows up he, he can marry you, but he does not follow through on his promise. So here, the plan of redemption has stalled. Because of Judas's, I don't know, guys, what's going on in Judas's mind? Is it disinterest? Is it apathy? Is it stubbornness? But because he's not interested, guilt, because of whatever, There will be no line of David. There will be no Christ, no Christmas, no Easter, no salvation, no future heaven. There would be no tribe of Judah and there would be no Jews. So Judah had failed as a brother. He'd sold his brother into Egypt. Judah had failed as a father. His boys were evil and died early. And he doesn't seem to show any grief or acknowledge that they had been doing something wrong. Judah failed as the clan leader. He does not take care of family business. Neither does he take care of his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And through, through subterfuge, he sleeps with his first son's widow, Tamar, instead of letting his son, Shelah, marry her as was the custom. Why on earth is this in the Bible? Well, I think it shows God's determination to fulfill his promises. He will bless the world through this broken, busted, bruised family in spite of them. No matter what their failure, no matter where their address is, this little motley crew, this little group of nomads, these refugees of an ancient bygone day, God has says, out of you will I call forth greatness. Out of you will I call forth the kings of the earth. Out of you I will call forth the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 35 verse 11, this is the prophecy given by God to Jacob. He's just come across the brook Peniel. He's now come to the place that we now call Bethel, the house of God. He's had a rest on a pillow. He's seen the angels going up and down from heaven. And this is what God says to him. He says, I am 
God Almighty. When God stands up on your address and says this, Gary, I am God Almighty. Listen to what he says. When God turns up on your day and declares, I am God Almighty, he's saying, I'm about to do something. I am might. I am strength. I am going to do things. He says, Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. The... um, book of Genesis, the original blessing given to human beings was be fruitful and multiply a number. It's still the same plan. Hey, it's widened a little bit. It's getting, the tributaries are growing and so, and it's still the plan today. Can I say to you today, if you've got an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to the church today, He's saying, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, church of Jesus Christ, and increase in number, church of Jesus Christ. I thought that was worth an amen, that one. I thought that's, a, that's what God's saying to the church today. And we would often look at our family, our brokenness and our bruising, our badness and stuff, says, God, you've got the wrong family. How can you use a little church like us to actually shape the world? How can you use us to increase and to fulfill your promises? I want to tell you how, because he's God Almighty. He's the God Almighty. And when he declares, be fruitful and multiply, nothing can stop that. But he goes on to say to Jacob, a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I give this land to your descendants after you. That's what God said to Jacob. Then this is what he says to Judah in Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Here is a prophetic word over Judah. Judah Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. And you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, you crouch down. You lie down like a lioness. Who dares rouse you? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. The obedience of the nations is his. The scepter, the very thing he left in the hands of his daughter-in-law, the sign of his authority. God says, I'm giving it back to you and it will never lead you till Messiah comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to keep his promises. Hallelujah. And if you've had a prophetic word over your family, I would ask you to guard it, to watch it, because God is able to complete his promises. God will fulfill it. God will bring it through. God will complete that which is done. Because it's not about my brokenness. It's about God's destiny, His empowerment, His will. Greater is He that's within you than anything out there in the world. That nothing present, neither future, neither past can separate you from God's eternal purpose. Whom He predestined, He also saved. Whom he saved, he also justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. That you would be conformed to the image of his dear son. Romans chapter 8. See, Judah has a king to produce. Hallelujah. He has a king to bring to the throne. Judah is from the line of the great king that will come. 
and he will give rise to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, let's fast forward now. Let's go right up to the end of time. Let's, like the Apostle John, be transported into the heavenly realm. And there he sees the 24 elders bringing down their crowns, falling before God in worship. There you see this incredible apocalyptic revelational scene. On the right hand there sat one on the scroll. In his hand was a scroll with seven seals upon it. And there's a mighty angel proclaiming, Who is worthy to break open the seals and bring an end to the world, bring justice and to wipe out tragedy and to bring God's kingdom to the earth? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and wept because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll and look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of... The lion of the tribe of... The lion of the tribe of the roots of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and to wind up all of church history. My friends, why is Genesis chapter 38 in the Bible? It's because God will use uh, broken, battered families and in his unsearchable way, he takes incest, he takes death he takes the most bizarre rebellion selfishness and in his unsearchable ways that we can't ever fully understand but he makes it work according to his purpose his purpose do you know that you were born with a purpose do you know that you're not an accident but even today that god has you, you in his mind, there's a purpose for it. And that purpose is that God would use you as a means of reflecting his light and his truth to a dying world, that God has a purpose that you too would increase, that you too would multiply, and that you would have many, many children for Jesus' sake. You see, God's got a plan. That plan was leading up. Abraham, I'm going to form a nation out of you. <laughs> a nation. <laughs> We've got a tent, a few goats, wander around in the desert. And so then he takes them a little bit further on and uh, Joseph goes down into Egypt and 400 years in Egypt, they come out three million strong to take over a land that God's prepared for them. And out of those, they were chosen to be a, a messenger to the unchosen. Because then out of that came David. And you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. There she is. There's a name in, in the Bible. But she is the, the daughter-in-law of Judah and Perez. And there it is, right in the genealogy of Jesus. It comes down to now the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's born of this line. And then we come to the Gospel of John. And he says, now something's clicked over. That little family has moved and grown and developed and shaped. 
and then Jesus came, and now it's just not the physical line, it's now the spiritual line. To him who believes in Jesus, God will allow them to be born into this family, not by blood, not by will, not by human design, but spiritually. And now we have these people now, Christians, little Christ, who are born again. You are sons and daughters of Abraham, children of faith. We can trace your hereditary line all the way back to Judah today. We are born anew in Him. And God wants us to continue to grow and to develop. This morning, I just want to say to you, family is so important. It's so important. And, you know, I don't know about your family. I know about my family. And there are times when we are highly dysfunctional as a family. You know, my my mother-in-law married my sister-in-law's brother's father. It's almost illegal. And the the son married the sister-in-law of my sister. So the father and the the father and the daughter married the father and the daughter of my sister's in-laws. It's they have the same name. Scary. You know, we, we, we have, if we ever got all the family together in one room at one time, where you add up the in-laws and the outlaws and the blended families and, you know, who's done what to who and stuff like that, we're interesting. And you've got family members today. Uh, you know, I've got a niece that probably needs to be taken down to Teen Challenge. She's 15 years of age on drugs. She may not live much more. The way she's going, you know, just just a mess. You know what? I don't say that to discourage you, but to encourage you. Because this book says God uses the most busted, broken families in the world to build kingdoms, to build kings, to rule the world. What a wonderful God we serve. Now, we've got to cooperate. We've got to say yes to Jesus. We've got to show up and let God have his way in it all. But we have a God that will use families. This is the promise of God, that through your families, the nations of the earth will be blessed. May I pray it over you today that through your family, the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, in marginal ways, we do that through outreach and missions and, you know, incredible things, $6,000 for world outreach just a couple of weeks ago from middle church like this. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. But let's understand, you know, if God said something over your son or your daughter, over your, parent, over your parents or whatever, we need to pray into that. We need to hang on to it. We need to trust God or bring about his work because he does. He does. He does. So I wonder if you might stand with me all pray. I'll have the musicians up. <clears throat> So do you understand the chapter had nothing to do with sex? (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you. Jesus. Now, I don't want to minimize it. 
uh, the stories of a young lady as a widow in such desperation she takes extraordinary means to try and fix things. We've got a man who's shamed terribly by a moment of his humanity doing something that he probably really regrets. We've got brothers who so dislike each other that they don't talk to each other. They're actually prepared to kill each other. We've got lying going on. We've got deception. We've also got these patterns going from generation to generation to generation. And it's not my purpose now to talk about generational curses. I I don't believe in generational curses. Because if you you dig below it, it's actually saying that it's been passed on by the sperm. And I just don't think there's any theology for it. If you really dig under it, that's what they say that's going on. But patterns can form. Patterns can form. You know, what a difference it would have made if the first time I saw my mum and father have a fight. Instead of my dad throwing things at my mum and my mum taking to the bedroom for three or four days of depression. What if you would have just said, oh, honey, will you kneel with me? Let's just pray. Dear Lord, just help us to be a priest and a king. Take care of family business. Will you forgive me, sweetheart? I've been selfish and stubborn. I want to try and listen to you better. I want to understand what it is to be as Christ loved the church. I wonder if it would have made a difference. And I think God wants to rule and reign in our lives. But if we can't pick up our phone and talk to our brother or to our sister or to our father or our mother. And look, I understand stuff's happened. I understand there's a lot of grief sometimes. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. I understand that. But God wants to take us to a place of rulership and reigning. And that means we've got to be able to rule and reign ourselves first. Silly little, silly little picture, but it helps me. I see a little pony that God's given me to look after. And I'm meant to run after, I'm meant to look after this little pony. I'm meant to master it. And I get into this little pony and it's stubborn. It likes to bite and kick and scratch and all those sorts of things as ponies can. And I ignore the pony and I don't do what I do and we really don't work. But what I don't understand is God, Jesus Christ is in heaven and he rides a mighty white horse. It's an incredible stallion. And he's riding there. And this beast is snorting and it's stamping the grounds because with him are the angels of Revelation chapter 19 saying, Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. And he's about to mount this horse with a sword in his hand, with the word of God on his side. And he's about to come to earth. And he's going to come with the angels and the saints. Come ride with me. Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. What God wanted me to do was to get so good at riding my pony that when I get to heaven, I'm going to go there and there's an incredible horse for me to ride. Because Jesus and I are going to ride back together in victory as kings 
and priests and rule over this earth. Friends, your life is your little pony. How are you, how you handling your pony? Are you looking after it? Do you have it controlled? Are you, are you, are you managing? Are you getting good at that? Because that's the thing. If you master that, then the more comes. It's a silly little story, but it just works for me. So, Father, we're going to pray for families right now. Why don't you take the hand of someone next to you right now? Jesus, help us, dear God. Families, dear God. Families. Families. Lord, even in our own street, Lord, the damage and destruction that's happening in families. Lord, we see the enemies work everywhere where we look. Where families being pulled apart. Relationships are being stripped into ugliness, dear God. Lord, we see abuse and poverty, Lord, everywhere. And Lord, some of it's not too far from us. And Lord, we just ask right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd pour out your blood, Lord, upon our consciences. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd heal us to that place. Lord, where we could forgive and reach out. Lord, send the email, Father. Lord, write the card, Lord, whatever it is. But we would take a step towards reconciliation and then ruling, Lord, in our own family, in our own place, dear God. Lord, out of that, that there could be increase and multiplication. Father, I pray for families. Lord, as Job would offer up a sacrifice every day for his family, Lord, just in case. Lord, I thank you that you stand before the throne 24 hours a day, Lord, interceding for the families that are represented even in this place. Lord, bind them together with cords that cannot be broken, dear Lord. Lord, with purity, with passion. Lord, we just want to renounce selfishness, Lord. Learn what it is to live for the other. Lord, help us to be Christian, Lord, not only in church, but also in the home, in Jesus' wonderful name. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, the uh, book of Matthew talks about uh, how the Son of God went forth throwing seed into the field. And up came good wheat. And then his enemy went in and he threw bad seed. And up came all these tears and all this bad stuff. And the servants then asked the owner of the, owner of the field, what do you want us to do? He says, leave it to the end until I rip them out. I want you to know that God went into the world and he put good seed. Good seed. God does good. Amen. He put good seed into the soil. And then an enemy came. We know him by the name of Satan. And he sowed bad seed. God doesn't do bad. God does good. Amen. There's an enemy. There's the enemy of our souls. The enemy of God who came in. And he's now messed up the world. True? And God says we're going to leave them side by side. Because I don't want any wheat to be put up accidentally. I don't want any of the good stuff to go. And to be wasted. So God has a plan for your life. If you've not yet found God's plan for your life, the very first thing you need to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. 
So you may not have messed up like I did. You might have got 97, but you still didn't get 100. None of us are good enough for God because He's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And so God's made a way. Religion is about man's search for God. And and genuine Christianity is about God's search for man. Religion's about us trying to find God. And when you find God, then you run from God. Christianity is about God finding you and when He finds you, you find Him and you embrace Him. If you don't know Jesus Christ yet as your personal Savior, if you've never taken that first step to invite Him to come and live in your life, for you to become one who's been born into this family so that your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather would be Judah, then I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Just, just for a moment, you just bow your heads. And uh, close your eyes. I just want a moment of privacy. If that's you this morning, you'd like to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? It would be my joy, my privilege to pray with you. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to, not ask you to join a church, but we are asking you to join a family. A family that you'll live with forever and ever and ever. If that's you this morning, I should do something really very brave. It takes a bit of courage, a bit of guts. Just slip your hand straight up in the air. Hold up there till I see it. And I should put it down. That's you this morning. God bless you. Bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Father. I pray that, Lord, you'll send us out rejoicing. Understand, Lord, it's your will that our families be redeemed and fulfill the plan and the purpose that you have on their lives. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to have a song to finish with, but I want to dismiss you for the rest of your Sunday. Remember, 5 o'clock, 5 live is our leadership thing. We do have a prayer team here today, and uh, they'd love to pray with you for miracles. We see incredible things happen all the time, miracles, every time we pray for people. So I'd love you to come out to the front. If you have need in your life for prayer, we'll be here. So.